The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, I've delved into the archives to pull out an interview I did with World War II Royal New Zealand Air Force Meteorological Officer Jim Richmond. This was recorded in 2010. Jim passed away in 2013, age 98. Here's Jim. Uh, my name is James Richmond. My serial number is 412997. Uh, born in Wellington on the 10th of January 1915. Right. Okay, so that's 95? 95. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You don't look, you don't look anywhere near. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, what was your situation when the war came along? What, were you working by then? Yes, I was working for an insurance company, NIMU Insurance in Auckland. We moved up here uh, from Wellington in 1922 and I've been in Auckland most of my life. And so you you were working in insurance and when, okay. the, when the war broke out, what That's was your right. immediate reaction? Uh, I tried to get into to the army and I was turned down on medical grounds. Uh, and then I thought, well, I'll try uh, see if there's anything else available. And I saw that, uh, or thought that my ability would best be on the clerical side. And I applied for the Air Force 
and uh, they graded me one, which was uh, quite surprising, seeing the army had turned me down. Uh, I later got a note from the army to say they could fit me in as a stretcher bearer uh, at the showgrounds. It didn't appeal to me very much. But anyhow, I pursued the uh, business with the Air Force and then they wrote to me and said, well, we're taking on WAFs and uh, they'll be doing most of the clerical work. But they uh, wondered if I could uh, be interested in the meteorological department. Uh, and I thought, well, I've done nothing about it, but I'll find out. So I was sent to down to Mechanics Bay to meet uh, 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 Mr. Larson, who was the uh, head of the Auckland branch of the meteorological office, and uh, had a talk to him, and it sounded quite interesting. And so uh, that got me into the weather section. Um, I was just graded a corporal, and uh, I wondered what the next move would be. Well, I, the Air Force called me up and went down to Harewood to beginner's class. Got horribly seasick all the way down. Oh, I felt just like a, a wet rag when I got off. And, but anyhow, there was a party there to meet me and took me up to Harewood uh, Aerodrome. Uh, and in no time at all I was fitted with a uniform and I was uh, an L LAC, I think. <laughs> or, no, no, an AC1. And, and then I got an AC2 and then an LAC, that's right. Um, and uh, I did a first uh, few months at uh, Harewood, just uh, uh, drill, that sort of thing. Uh, freezing cold, you know. Had to get up for breakfast in the dark about six in the morning, and I just hated the sound of that siren. And, oh, terrible. But uh, then I, I, I had a trouble with uh, medical trouble with one leg, and uh, they shot me into Christchurch Hospital. I was there for a few weeks. Uh, not a few weeks, just days really, and then uh, I found that w uh, my uh, posting had been up to uh, Blenheim, to Woodburn Aerodrome, and uh, found that they had a weather section in operation in the uh, water tower on that uh, uh, site. Uh, I was there for quite a while and then uh, it started to, uh, I was started to shove around. I went from uh, Woodburn back to Auckland, to the uh, weather office in Auckland. Spent a session there with them and from there I was up to Waipapakauri, which was uh, just the end of the world up there. but. Uh, they did have uh, uh, some um, preparation. They had uh, Wildebeests and Vincents uh, patrolling, I think, for anti-sub uh, uh, to see if they could spot anything. And we each had a, a rifle, Lee Enfield 303, and we, I think we had about six 
<laughs> cartridges. <laughs> that was about the extent of the uh, of the gear that they had up there. It was very uh, backward, but um, I got to enjoy it all right. And while I was there, uh, I've been there some well th three or four months, I think. It's all in the dim past now, but uh, a signal came up from, um, I suppose, Wellington saying that I was to return to my home in Auckland and await further instructions. And uh, that was to be my final leave, and it only lasted two or three days, and I got a ring from an American, and he said, you're going to White Poppy. And I said, well, where's that hole? He said, we can't tell you that. So, uh, but he said, you, uh, an Air Force sergeant will come out with, in his car tomorrow in the morning and take you down to the, uh, the wharf. And it uh, turned out to be the President Adams was the American ship. It was, uh, I think, returning to America because uh, it was most of the complement of passengers were uh, being repatriated. They'd been in Guadalcanal and uh, being returned home, I think. But uh, as I say, I was the only New Zealander aboard, but uh, we had a, a few days wait at the wharf and then finally we got away and uh, it turned out that I was going, getting out at Noumea in so when we got there, uh, the ship tied up at the wharf and I saw the, uh, uh, an officer in charge on the boat and I said, any chance of me getting out to have a look round? Uh, and being the only New Zealander, I sort of got special privileges, I think. So he said, oh yes, I'll give you a leave path. And uh, I went off and had a nose round and came back and found the ship had gone and my kit bag was lying on the wharf. So what did I do next? I thought, oh goodness me, a stranger in a strange land. But I did remember that uh, a crowd of American uh, army meteorologists had called in Auckland Met Office to find out how the flying conditions would be for them to go on to Noumea. So I thought, well, they must be around somewhere, and I, I found that they were located on Eel Nu, which is a small island in the middle of the harbour. And uh, I managed to get a, a ride over there on a... somebody had a launch handy and took me over, and I spent the night with them, and then they took me back to the mainland next morning and I thought, well, where do I go from here? Uh, I was walking around and I saw a Royal Air Force flying officer and I said, how do you do, sir? And I said, I told him who I was and why I was there and it turned out we were both to go up to Plain de Gaix, which was up in the northwest coast of uh, New Caledonia uh, 
eventually that afternoon we got away uh, with a, an American transport plane and I landed at number nine squadron there. Later on, after some weeks, uh, we shifted up to, uh, I'll think of the name in a moment, in the New Hebrides. Uh, and it's just escaped me for the moment, but uh, was there for quite some time and then we found we were going up to uh, uh, the New Hebrides to uh, just in transit, was there or two or three weeks where I picked up dengue fever. Uh, but uh, finally uh, shifted again and taken up to Guadalcanal. Uh, the land fighting had finished there, but we were still subject to bombing, mainly by night. But, uh, it was a very interesting time and uh, we all had a foxhole to rush to if the siren went in the middle of the night. And, uh, we could see the night fighter stalking after the Jap that was coming. Uh, they usually came when the moon was full. But uh, you could actually see the plane, uh, at least you could see the bomb leaving the plane when overhead and you think, now I wonder where that's going to land. But uh, we all had a foxhole to get into and uh, surprising who you met and <laughs> I found I was uh, talking next to the uh, uh, dental officer. But uh, all sorts, uh, you just scrambled for something and with no time to lose. So uh, I was there some months and then finally I was uh, on my way back. I came back to the New Hebrides and uh, waited there for further transport and back to Auckland. So uh, the rest of the time I spent in, uh, I was uh, posted back to Woodburn in Blenheim, from there to Tyree in Dunedin and uh, I was once at uh, Bell Block in Taranaki. Uh, and back to Auckland, finally uh, uh, I was the last uh, place I served and that's where I met my wife and uh, we got uh, engaged on VJ Day and uh, finally married about three months after that and uh, lived very happily ever after. Unfortunately she died about 16 years ago but uh, I think that's briefly all I can tell you. Can you tell me what a um, sort of average day for the meteorologists was like? What, what was your day-to-day -day job? And Oh, know? well, it depended what shift you were on. Yes, it, uh, it could be uh, a, a day time, say, uh, I think about 8 o'clock till uh, late afternoon. Also night shift and uh, another shift that finished at 11 o'clock at night. And for one brief period the weather officer shifted to the training college in Auckland and uh, we were going there for, uh, for a brief time. Uh, they had Northern Group headquarters established in the training college. Um, 
No, I don't think there's much actually. Well, how, how did you gather the information um, about the weather though? How were you doing it back then? Oh, well, it was all on um, conference calls on the telephone and uh, they also had uh, a, a, a sort of a, a there's a word for it, it came on text uh, and all coded. We had, you know, every report we got in had to be decoded. But, um, yeah, it was. Uh, so you just have a chain of people looking at the weather and telling the next person down the chain what's coming, is that right? Uh, well, no, the uh, meteorological office in Wellington was getting. Uh, reports from islands in the Pacific and uh, all over Australia uh, and uh, we also with at that time Captain Burgess was flying the, uh, the flying boat to and from Australia and he would always bring back new information and uh, furthermore American planes that came in uh, would hear a bit of news from them. But there was one incident, uh, an American plane landed one probably early in the morning and the captain of the, uh, the chief of the uh, Americans on flight came in to get the weather for he was going on to Sydney or Australia the next day and he just was interested to know what conditions were like over the Tasman and uh, I said I'd love to be going with you and he said well boy we'll take you along <laughs> and I said well it's a Friday afternoon but will you have me back by Sunday or Monday <laughs> oh well I doubt that he said but uh, there was a tragic end to that uh, I finished that uh, shift that day at 11 o'clock at night. I got home to my parents' place in Mount Eden, just got to bed and I heard a hell of a bang. Oh, shocking noise. And it was that plane blew up on the tarmac at, uh, at Fenurpai. And uh, that was completely destroyed and all lives lost. So. I was very, very lucky not to have been involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the B-17 that just went off the end of the strip? I, I think it did, yeah. And of course it was fully loaded too, you yeah. know, with uh, bomb, I suppose, armaments of what, every description. But, uh, yeah, it's a terrible thing. But tell me, were, were you using weather balloons? Oh yes. Can yeah. you tell me what that's about? Because I've seen them on TV. Oh. I just don't know how you get information from... Well, particularly interesting, when we were in, uh, at Woodburn in Blenheim, uh, in the water tower, and then there was a tube going up to the top with a ladder, and we uh, had to fill the balloon with uh, hydrogen, I think it was, uh, inflate it and attached to that a cotton and a little plastic, uh, well almost a bucket, sort of a, a tumbler sized thing with a candle in the middle at the bottom 
and uh, you'd light the candle and you're ready to let it go. Uh, and then with a theodolite you would track its uh, position and record all that. And then when you'd finished that, you'd come downstairs again to the office part and uh, get the slide rule out and work out the wind speed and direction. Uh, one of my mates was doing that in the middle of the night on a different shift and uh, the balloon, or he, <laughs> the candle must have been too hot for the balloon and he got his great coat pretty well singed. <laughs> but it didn't harm him, he wasn't uh, burnt or suffered. But uh, it's surprising how long you could see that candle, particularly in the calmish conditions, and track its movement and record it uh, in high windy weather, of course away it went, uh, it didn't last for very long. But uh, I was never a math mathematician, but uh, it was all, with a slide rule you could work it all out and pass it on to Wellington. Or, but, uh, and did you grow up in aircraft on weather flights? Yes, yes. What were you mainly looking for when you went on a weather flight? Well, sometimes it was just, uh, they'd give us a, a ride, somebody's, what was it, off shift, you know, but they would perhaps uh, uh, aircraft a pilot and uh, training and that sort of thing, and we'd get the occasional ride, but on one occasion at Waipapakauri, they wanted me to uh, go with, um, in a, a, a wildebeest on, as high as it would go, and my job was to sit behind the pilot, and uh, he would level out at every thousand feet, and I would record that temperature. There was a big thermometer on the strut of the wings, uh, and that was all right. I did that for climbed higher and higher, but when we got to about uh, well, we got to a maximum of sixteen thousand feet. Uh, cold is one thing, I was wrapped in all the gear that uh, a pilot would have had, uh, but in the last few stops at different thousands I was getting lazier and lazier and in fact I found out afterwards really the effect of the low pressure as we went up and I just remember the last one or two level out so I just dropped the pencil and couldn't care less. <laughs> but it was an experience and just trying to think of the pilot's name but he unfortunately um, after the war he was lost on Ruapehu on uh, National Airways I think it was their, one of their flights. But uh, I can't think of his name at the moment, it just escaped me. Well, I've heard that at White Paper Carry there was quite a good social life on the squadron. Uh, no, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just the pilots and air crew then. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I, after the war I was up there, you know, just touring around in the car and I called in at the, the headquarters was the pub. and. Uh, the 
medical section was in the pub and I called in at the pub one day in civilian status uh, long after the war and told the fellow inside the pub that I used to be at. Oh, I said, well, you'd have been one of the bad boys to be sent up here during the war. But uh, interesting to think we did have a, a typhoon go across the airfield while I was there and it wiped off a couple of planes and uh, did a bit of damage to property around about. But it fizzled out after it got to about Kaitaia, I think, and just moved to one side. And so did you guys in the Met Office know that was coming or was it a surprise? No, but uh, one of the uh, uh, flying officers, uh, pilot type, came to me that morning uh, because I was the weather fella and he said, well, what's going to happen today? I said, well, anything could happen today. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> it was most interesting to see the barometer as this typhoon went past, the barometer went up and down, just like that. Yeah. But, uh, I got on the blower and told Auckland, but they uh, just recorded it. I didn't hear any more. Uh, that was uh, a real outlandish sort of place up there at that time and uh, I had to go to send the morning balloon up in the dark. Uh, I had to walk for about half a mile to where they uh, had a hydrogen stored and I could inflate the balloon and uh, light the candle <laughs> and let it go. Uh, did, did you light the candle well away from the hydrogen store? Yes, <laughs> normally. <laughs> uh, sounds, sounds sensible. <laughs> I, I don't know how the other fellow got caught, but uh, he, eventually he turned out to be a brother-in-law of mine. Yes, uh, but uh, unfortunately he died in the polio shortly after the war. Uh, Oh no, it was good to look back on it all and I enjoyed it and I, I started as uh, an AC2 and I finished up a flight sergeant. <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, how many um, MET people were on the squadron when you were up in the islands? You know, how many would be posted to a squadron? Uh, well, in uh, Guadalcanal there would have been three of us there. Uh, an officer and uh, I was still a corporal I think up there but uh, I would have been yeah. Mm. And did you go for any flights when you were up there? No I didn't, no. No it was, um, no, it was more it was service conditions that they had uh, Hudson's and uh, there was one, well, I forget the name of the one that superseded the Hudsons. Yeah, the they lost one or two there, yeah, that I know of. But, uh, yeah. who, who were the personalities on uh, on Nine Squadron? Who were the people that were, stand out in your memory? Oh. No. I can't really... Uh, no, I can't sort of recall. 
I could remember the uh, wing commander at Waipapa Kauri, uh, wing commander Turner, I think he was, and before the war he had was familiar with um, New Guinea and those areas, flying, uh, and he was, uh, uh, I thought, a very capable CO at uh, Waipap, and he was good to me to get me home in the way. <laughs> Yeah. So, those medals up there, are those yours? Are they no, yours no the, uh, the top row of mine, yeah. the bottom row of my wife's. Oh, okay. Yeah, she uh, was, uh, went away army nursing oh. in Egypt and uh, Italy. Well, before Italy, uh, Egypt, Greece, and Crete, uh, then back to Egypt, then to Italy, uh, and uh, she got a instead of a what's the word for I had a chance to come home sort of on leave. Oh, the furlough. Uh, what's the word? Furlough. Yeah, yeah. And instead of that, she heard that the Monganui was going back to Glasgow to be uh, refurbished and she had the chance and elected to take that trip instead of coming back for New Zealand on leave. And uh, while she was there they, uh, she nursed in Edinburgh Castle. Uh, okay. yeah, so she got around a bit too, but she did have relatives there. Of course, her parents were both from England originally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet she had a few stories to tell. Yes, I don't think she told me all of them. But uh, no, she was uh, a wonderful wife. She really was. Uh, I'm very sorry I lost her about 16 years ago. Yeah. But. Uh, That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.